Hello, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it for free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and today, Michael Brevik, uh, CTO of Variant, is joining us to talk about his talk at React Norway uh, titled React Architectures, the Next Generations. Welcome, Michael. How's it going? Good. Thanks. Happy to be here. I'm excited to chat today. But before we delve in, can you give us a little bit about who you are, your background, and why you're telling us about React architectures? I like to think of myself like a web historian in a way. So I've always been interested in how things became. And at one point, I think that entailed a lot of research. But as I realize now, I've been doing web development with JavaScript, especially almost since the XRH standard was introduced. So I think like early 2000s, nice. which is now 20 years ago. But it, it also includes a lot of what I'm interested in. So web development and user experiences and things like that. And I've been doing web for a long time. And I also do that to this day as a CTO at a consultancy firm that I started five years ago. So I do a lot of work and, and also some management. I do some podcasts in Norwegian. So if you're happening to listen to this and speak Norwegian, definitely check them out. And over the time, I've done a lot of React stuff. I've done a lot of different stuff. I like to think of myself as a developer, but mostly people associate me with front-end developer stuff. But I don't like to categorize it in that sense. But I also do some open source. So if, for instance, you've been pestered with notifications, it's a big chance that's my work. In a sense, I did a library called Node Notifier back in 2013, I guess, and that's still downloaded like millions of times a week. And I never like those notifications, but in any case, so like things like Jest use them and whatnot. And also in React world, way back in 2014, I did a library called Omniscient, which is try to take those classic uh, at that time, React had only classes. Instead of doing functional components and whatnot, they did all, only classes. And we, me and a friend called Todgai, we were inspired by ARM in ClojureScript and David Nolan and trying to move the unidirectional flow and functional aspects into React. So we did wrappers around React to make them functional, introduce us using only functions as components. So that was in 2014 at that one point. Yeah, you've given a couple of talks on like writing front ends in a more functional way. I feel like that's an interesting intersection in that a lot of front end devs aren't really thinking about architectures in that way or just like coding practices and design. Like, how did you come into this? I think it's at some point architecture wasn't a big part of front-end because it was just fragments of code running mm. on the front-end in addition. So it, there weren't any need of architecture in a broader sense. But also like after a while, when moving over to the client in more sense, we get more code and more needs to structure it and do more with it. And at that same point, I think just by happenstance or something, but also the functional paradigm was at a rise. So thinking more about it at what at the functional thought patterns in a way. So it's just happened to coincide. But I also think that it's one of the reasons is that the web and how the statelessness of the web functions is also something that's good to model in the uh, functional aspect. So I did some talks about this, for instance, at JSConf Budapest, I think in 2015. I tried to see that if we're structuring our code as 
composable bits of components, essentially. We can build complex applications on top of smaller uh, iterations or smaller fragments of code, which is like the functional manifesto in a way. So I think it's merging of two thoughts that fits together in a way. Yeah. Do you feel these kind of uh, frameworks like React or, you know, it's very similar kin? Do you feel that they're inherently functional, at least today, and that they mingle with state where they need to, like inputs and stuff like that? But do you think that the frameworks are encouraging devs to write functional code inherently, or is it still something that needs to be consciously thought about? I think it's getting a bit more pragmatic, at least. So when the flirtatious period with functional programming was at its strongest, when we were doing functional lenses and cursors and, and immutable data structures that's simulating how applicative functors means and whatever, all the terminology and all the academic things from the functional programming world was at its strongest. I think it's we're more likely to be guided toward that thought and that architectural patterns. But I think that's regressed in the later years. Mm. So for instance, now we're having Yes, you can say it's like a functional aspect in a way, but it's more pragmatic. You have more escape hatches. You can write in different ways. Fundamentally, it's kind of functional, but it's not as important to know that it's functional in a way. Got it. Yeah, I think that's probably a very concise way to put it. Like a, a highly pragmatized functional kind of framework is interesting. How does this play into what you cover in your talk? Is this shift what you're talking about or is there more to it? Not really. So the main parts of functional that we're still striving towards is determinism in a way. Mm -hmm. So how to produce applications that are inherently foreseeable or something that you can say that this is guaranteed to be this value or this is something that I can stand for in a sense. But I think that's just kind of the web taking its direction or taking its paradigm in 2013-ish React world, saying that this is how we're supposed to think about it. I think a key takeaway to start with that is that we're doing a lot of things in the front-end world that also seems like there's a lot to do and a lot to think about, but it's a variation of the different concepts that's explored in user land, as I call it. So just to take an example of that, I said initially that that, um, I started programming in web in the early 2000s. At that point, you had things like MooTools, you had things like Dojo, Prototype.js, but most people think about that period as jQuery, which was introduced in 2006. And the reason for its being introduced is we moved more client stuff over to the browser. So more of, we had a need for some sort of dynamic behavior, and we moved more code over to client to be running in the browser setting. It was just a need for how to structure. And from that moment on, kind of jQuery and John Reisig introduced jQuery. jQuery and the jQuery plugins was like the de facto way to structure a code. It wasn't any bundlers. It wasn't any things like that. You just kept concatenated files. So you had a need for things like self-invoking anonymous functions or immediately vote anonymous functions, whether we prefer to call them, but to scope things with functional scopes or function scoping. But that's it. And after a while, you moved more and more over to the client. You had single page applications created in this manner. 
Gmail is probably the most used example. Introduced the mobile client in 2006 or something, and it started getting so much functionality over that you had a lot of new needs for how to structure code. Also, moving into a new era of how to think about things. It started a lot of different explorations. Mind you, it was still things like Moo Tools and Dojo was still a big thing, but it wasn't as de facto mainstream as what jQuery was. Even though things like Dojo had async module definitions and invented the module and what was later known as CommonJS, but it's still like jQuery that had the best abstraction of Ajax, the de facto winner. But when we're doing more spas, things like Angular, Backbone, Ember, Knockout, Euralia, Durandal, everything was introduced and trying different approaches to how can we solve structuring big applications exclusively on the, the client side. Mm-hmm. And at that point, this was probably the period that people first trying to talk about framework wars, for instance, even though there had been a framework war previously as well. But also at that time, there's a new framework every week and and things like that. But again, they haven't lasted for 10 years plus because when React came in 2013, it changes a lot of different things like not only doing different approaches, but it it was introducing a new way to think about solving uh, applications. So the component architecture that was introduced, even though you had some sort of components from before, it wasn't encapsulated and it wasn't like, you couldn't think about components as self-identifiable entities in your application architecture in a way. So I think this is just like a long-winded way of saying that there is some sort of wave in the front-end world that we're seeing the different explorations that we don't see in, for instance, Java, we don't see it in .NET, we don't see it in Python, because there are big actors in those environments, in those ecosystems that is driving how to solve application architecture in a bigger, broader sense. But in the web world, this has always happened in the user land, in open source, every which way we're trying to solve different things It's been explored by individuals in trying to make something bigger, but more fragmented as well. But also by that observing an innocent bystander in a way, you're observing all those different explorations. And the consequences of this is that it feels like there's a lot of things happening, especially when you're following Twitter and you have more than 800 tweets or whatever you can see, but all the different like explorations and libraries that you're trying to see They're just trying to find their way into how can we solve this in a different way. And at some point, it accumulates to not only changing how we're writing, but also how we're thinking about writing things. And that's the paradigm shifts. And I think it's waves that accumulates over time. And suddenly there's a big change that will stand the test of time in a bigger way. Because again, React was introduced in 2013. That's 10 years ago this year. If we're trying from the early 2000s, that's when we started doing dynamic applications or dynamic pages. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that in the Web 2.0 era, we're doing more social interactions and we were getting the need for more dynamic inputs. Since then, up until now, it's 20 years of age for dynamic web applications. And think about that there's a framework or a library that's been developed in open source 
that you can write the same application code almost in 2013 and to this day. That's over half the time there has been dynamic pages. Right. I almost get annoyed when people joke about new frameworks every week because I can't think of any other example of any other ecosystems that had such a stable but continuously developed and evolved framework and architectural thought pattern that's the component architecture and React as name implementation of that component architecture. Do you think that we're going through a paradigm shift now akin to that initial migration to the component architecture? Or do you think this is a different beast? I don't think it's the same kind of directional change. Because remember, also, I think that 2013 was a real paradigm shift in a sense that we were trying to apply server paradigms like MVC and MVVM model, view model <laughs> patterns to the client side. And seeing that, but really the stateless nature of the web and how the DOM operates doesn't really apply to how we're thinking about view models and uh, model view controllers. So we put that behind and went over to component architecture. So that's changed in quite literally like a paradigm shift. Right. I think this is same but different in a sense. So one of the reasons why we're moving over to the client as well, because there was a lack of tooling, it was a lack of developer experience, it was lack of how to properly create dynamic applications in the web. But now we're doing like 10 years plus of creating great developer experience, creating great tooling. Bundling is immensely better now than three or four years ago, and nevertheless, 10 years ago. But also through that development, we're seeing, okay, there has been a lot of trade-offs. So let's take what we learned and try to reapply it to the other way of thinking about applications. So moving it, in a sense, back towards the server and seeing, okay, could we bring all this tooling, all this developer experience back to and use the strength of how we're doing applications from before to this. The way I like to think about this is, for some reasons, I've been obsessed with hypes and, and trends and pendulums of technology for the last five years. So I have a mental model that, if you know the Gartner hype curve, yeah, essentially just like a sinus curve. Uh, that's my theory, at least. So it's a sinus curve. And if you're just shifting a sinus curve, it's actually just a pendle that's moving from side to side. So that's how I try to think about hypes. Mm. Because you can say that microservices is just service-oriented architecture from 10 years ago. Uh, or you can say that this is the front-end architecture now world is just PHP or whatever. Yes, but also no. Because you have been forged and, and changed by what you have experienced at some point. So again, the metal model of the pendle that swings from side to side, it swings from one side and it's get some color by hitting the wall. And then you're taking that color back towards the other end. So you're constantly changing, even though you're pendling between different technology, you're constantly changing. And I haven't thought the analogy through because at some point it would be brown and just the color would be mixed, but yeah, yeah. it's changed at least. Um, so that's the change I see now that at some point we couldn't do things like progressive enhancement, which is a hard thing to accommodate for because most of the time you don't need it. And most of the time developers don't need it. But there are some people 
who actually do need progressive enhancement. Mm -hmm. And there are things that could go wrong with your application. So doing things like exclusively on single page applications, there are some major drawbacks. And we can't do things like search model optimization. Accessibility is harder. In Norway, there's a law that every governmental site, for instance, has to be accessible by VCAG 2.1, which is important and it's it's um, it's a good law to have. But it also means that every solutions we're making that is for public consumption, it has to be accessible. Yeah. And some cases, things like single page applications, when trying to re-implement basic browser functions, it's just the accessibility isn't as good, for instance trying to move some of the all the good stuff that we're creating over back to the server is also an advantage that that can accommodate some of those trade-offs. You mentioned it, but I think when looking back, people have a tendency to discount how much that that developer experience you mentioned really drove this push to these SPA single page apps. And just like that, that separation of concerns, I feel, even just beyond the actual dev experience, I think that there was utility in it just in that like it made the process simpler. You could break teams apart across that kind of membrane a little bit easier. That was the front end and the back end. So I think that that did lead to it. And again, we had this was like this renaissance where it was like became super nice to develop single page applications that was hand in hand with just the paradigm shift in general. But now as we're having another one where we're getting into this era of putting things back on the server and figuring out how progressive apps should work now, it feels like the way that we are doing that is through these kind of meta frameworks, right? Like things that are being built on top of the frameworks that have been established. Do you think that is true? And if so, do you think that is necessary? Do you think that that had to be how this would happen? Or is there some other future that you could have seen. If you're going to back to the previous statement I had about things happening in the user land, there's a major advantage of this because it allows for divergent thoughts. So you can explore many different ideas and you can get great ideas of it. But what you're lacking there is progression in a way. It's harder to make tough choices when you have to constantly try to say or uh, make people believe you that this is the right choice. But meta frameworks or as it's really just frameworks, but having bigger actors in meta frameworks or frameworks allows them to make choices and move faster and make more unpopular choices that might be good on the long run, but it's harder to get people to accept. And we can see that in the pushback, things like server components, React server components getting on, on Twitter and this Twitter drama, but seeing that there's a lot more speedy push on this and it's getting criticisms for not being the documentation isn't ready maybe it's too early to be unstable whatever but also we have to remember it's trying to push in a direction and by having meta frameworks that have a lot more adoption than earlier where you can kind of treat the front end world as a a la carte menu where you can cherry pick different this is what i want for my state management this is what i want for my routing this is the bundler it's hard to push and force changes in that world. But now doing meta frameworks that control the entire ecosystem of your application, you can, in larger sense, try to move and push the next paradigm shift. So that's also one of the reasons I think the entire like ecosystem or community of front-end developers has traditionally really enjoyed the pick-and-choose flow of the web. But I think around like the create react uh, app era mm-hmm. people also started saying that you know what i don't really want to 
have to make all these choices. <laughs> it's nice to just do an opinionated picked stack for me. So gradually over the years, we're just got getting more and more accustomed to more opinionated. So more opinionated, again, by definition means less flexible in many sense. So that also means that when we're doing that, a lot more choices can be made for us. So I think that's a driver for this paradigm shift. A lot of cynical people might say that it's also by happenstance that the things like Netlify by Remix or, or that it's having Next.js because they are also um, getting financial bonuses from transitioning over to the server side. If that's their main goal and we get something good from it, I think that uh, paradigm shifts and, and thinking how we solve applications and architecture in this way go across the different companies because you're seeing every other framework also move into that state. Like uh, meta frameworks, it's not only a React thing, it's also things like Solid has their own Quick City. You have Angular has its one, which is called Angular or something. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You have Astro, which is agnostic to, to frameworks and libraries as well. And Dino has Fresh, which also they're trying to provide different edge functioning computers for. There are also some revenue that someone's making on this change. I think that doesn't take anything away from the advantages that the server first thought pattern or the streaming component architecture or what have you, what I'm calling the new paradigm then. Yeah, it is an interesting problem. And I feel like there's a lot of people are thinking about this because if you have a server, a server needs to be hosted. Someone's running it, right? Like it's a lot more intense than just the yeah. deploying a static SPA of old. So it makes sense that there's some kind of synergies that can be utilized there, like from a more capitalist business oriented perspective. It's like somebody's got to be doing this. I want to ask more about something you mentioned earlier. So you're talking about how React felt more, I don't remember the term you use, it was like more democratized, like it felt more open source owned by the open source community than these languages of old that were more tied to a given business entity or something. Do you think that that is at odds inherently with this need to move to some more workload being A, like run on a server and B, having a framework that can handle that trade-off elegantly? Because there is like a lot of technical overhead there. So like someone has to be making those decisions and there's inherently going to be differing opinions going on. So I think it's hard to do it in that democratized way. Do you think that how this is manifesting, do you think that this is a healthy way for it to be going down? Or is there something you've seen in the wild that you've thought it would be cool if the more agnostic, like the Cloudflares or the Deno, those kinds of hosts were more of the norm than just like using Vercel and saying, okay, go. Yeah. To tackle the question from the first point. So React was and is famously different than, for instance, Angular, which was the main competitor like when it was introduced. Mm-hmm. Because it was communicating quite like vividly, like, we are only a UI library, which means we don't do state management. We don't do things like this. We don't do bundling and, and whatnot. It's just a function of, of your state equals some output. That's it. And now it's more like, yeah, but you can also look at state as a component architecture way because state is a component in itself. So it's gradually moving over to doing more stuff. But I think it's hard to do when having 10 years of history and backwards compatibility, it's very hard 
to change over time. Mm -hmm. You can see that even things like use the hooks took a lot of time before it was introduced. I think uh, React Server Components, for instance, and the Suspense was first in an RFC five years ago. That's a long lead time before, uh, because everyone has to be in agreement and they're still having to get all the users to accept the changes. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing more opinionated stuff and the entire totality of an application, you can also move in a more, let's say, soft deprecation way. So trying to do migrations over time, that's not having to do like abstract syntax tree, code shift, uh, major uh, rewrites of your applications in a massive commit that's changing one breaking change, for instance. As you're controlling more of the architecture, you can do more microscopic changes over time because it's tied together. And if it's advantageous exclusively, I don't think so. It has its drawbacks uh, and it has its advantages. But at this point, I think that the advantages of, for instance, getting people to think about progressive enhancement, that's a major advantage in my book. Because the sub-part of the community has tried. (laughs) On on the arise of the single-page application, when everyone thinks that everything you have to do on the web distributed side of things has to be an application and has to be a single-page application. So you're foregoing the entire progressive enhancement thing. But people try to say, but but remember, progressive enhancement is is important. Accessibility is important. But as you're not controlling the entire stack, it's hard to enforce. And if people, for instance, aren't reading the blog posts trying to convey how important progressive enhancement is, it won't get a hold as a mainstream factor. But now when, for instance, Next and Remix are talking more about it, controlling more aspects of it, and things like server actions and forum actions from Next.js is progressive enhancement by default. Suddenly it's more adapted for this last two months than it has been in the last seven years, even though there's been a very vocal subpart of the community saying how important progressive enhancement is, for instance. And that's just one example of many, I think, that's things that's fittingly to implement or do that has to change the way you're doing it so it's uh, harder to get people to do it yeah i agree i guess on that point then i feel that these paradigm shifts are times when communities or industries however you want to view it are the most prime to have some new tool like okay hey instead of dealing with this old thing where they're trying to take this giant community and there's all this history and all these people care about all these things in here it makes it inherently slower to update right you have to have all these concerns you're worrying about and i feel like that's when these environments are primed to have somebody new come in and upstart me like okay well we can just kind of make all the good decisions that a lot of people seem to be calling for we'll start with that as our baseline and we'll become the new thing i guess do you think that that is happening right now and either way like why do you think it either is or is not i think the majority of people just got tired of having to choose everything yeah yeah so At some point, people just, okay, I give up. What are your opinions? I'll just follow along. Mm -hmm. Like Prettier and the discussion of how to format your code in mostly a part is still some sort of discussions, but not nearly as much. We're just tired of having the same discussions of semicolons or not semicolons over and over. At some point, just, okay, give me your opinions. 
I'll live with it. So I think right, yeah. the same thing has happened when we don't need Webpack anymore with the configuration galore that you can do anything with. It's very nice and it has done a very good job for a long time. For instance, we just want something that's more opinionated. And the bundle story is similar, I think, because you're having Webpack is very configurable. And then you get things like Parcel and, and TurboPack and whatever things different that's more opinionated, just handles things for you. And now we have Vite, of course. Like It just handles everything by best practice. It's little you need to do to configure. So I think it's just, I agree with what you're saying. People are tired of making choices, just ripe for someone to say, this is the way. Let's go with that and try to make that as a new baseline. And again, in five years, we'll probably circle back, right back to, but hey, the the uh, partial hydration model is lacking sorely in, in how we're doing RPC exclusively on or gRPC on, on the client now because of something new changes. So we're moving back to the more dynamic pages again, but probably at that point with more progressive enhancement or whatever web standards that's advantageous for the client. Yeah, like you said, there'll be a little bit of color added to the pendulum swinging back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. In your talk, uh, you talk about shuffling complexity around. Is this kind of complexity that just make the decision for me? Is that what you're talking about there? Or is there additional like technical complexity under the hood? Given the same problem and different abstractions of the solution you're trying to implement, it's hard to say that it's less complex in a way. Mm. So for instance, now with moving over to server server side first thinking, it's not less complex because even though you're writing less code, for instance, or for instance, in, in Next.js, you don't have to think if, is this running on the client side or is this uh, dead code eliminated because I referenced the variable from outside of a get server side the props, whatever which is a very complex thing to do in a traditional before the app source folder or whatever. So that's some sort of complexity. And now we're reducing perceived complexity, I think, because it seems easier because it's easier to do. But that complexity isn't gone. It's just moved to different aspects. It's more complexity to the... Uh, because you couldn't solve, for instance, React server components without a more server aspect of it, for instance. So that means that the library and the framework has absorbed some of your complexity. The complexity isn't gone and the effects of the complexity isn't gone. Because for instance, it means that the source code and the actual running code has a greater distance than what you were writing before. So when starting to do complex applications in distributed web applications, for instance, in single page applications, you're starting to see, oh, it's the bundles are great. The bundles are great in size. So we have to minify and mangle the source code that's outputted, and that's minification. So then it's hard to read on the application side in the browser. So then we introduced source maps to see that, okay, here we're able to map back from that code, but still it's a step towards you're not running in production the same code as you're doing on the development side. Right. And this is a step further beyond that as well, because now we're seeing code in things like React server components, but also all, all other things like Quick and Astro, whatever, we're seeing code that is not only run in one context, but it's running 
for instance, when there is a use server in, in server actions, it's extracted from that code, creating a new HTTP endpoint that's running in the server somewhere, and it's running in an entirely different context. So the distance between what you're reading in the source code and what's actually running is larger. So that means that the complexity is moved into infrastructure and it's hard to debug issues because no longer is source maps, for instance, are things that can be done. This is also true in normal hydration mode, but that's different because then you're doing client-side code that's extracted and running from what you're sending to the client. But here it's a lot more larger change from what you're seeing to what is actually outputted to the server-side to the client side or to the browser, I say. It's abstract thought, thought, but when your end of the code has reduced complexity, but you're solving the same problem, someone else has inherited that complexity. So it's just shuffle around to the server side or to the framework implementers. But the consequences of that complexity is still yours because they won't disappear. Because that means, for instance, that what if that code fails or what if the HTTP endpoint that's created by server actions is um, uh, you're trying to call something in a context that you think is local state, but it's actually transferred over the wire through HTTP. So it has some different semantics of behavior. So the complexity is, while code-wise shuffled around, it's still something you have to compensate for in your mental model. It is kind of weird because I feel like we've made this compromise. We're like, okay, we'll use these meta frameworks if we can use the term to like handle that complexity for us. But I also agree that all of them I've used, I've never not had to worry about that kind of duality of where my code can be running. Like it very much still is on the onus of the developer. Like you still have to think about this. This is something you're concerned about. But I think one can probably find cases where it's like, yeah, I wrote this little app and everything just worked and there was stuff running on the server when it needed to be and stuff running on the client when it needs to be. But I don't think that is a super common story. I think devs are still carrying that in their mental model. So yeah, it's like, it kind of, it kind of is an interesting space. Do you think it's making it more difficult for new devs to get started? If it's harder or just different, that's the hard part of it. So it's different, but is it different or harder because you have baggage of the other thought patterns? Or is it easier because it's less things to think about or you're guided towards best practices by default? And if you're trying to, for instance, let go of what the transition you have had as a developer for an entirely new developer, is it easier to adopt for a first timer that doesn't have the baggage? And I think forms, for instance, is a great example of this. For the last five, six, seven, eight years, people have forgotten that forms are a thing. So if we're asking them, can you do a post request from HTML? No, you, you need JavaScript and Ajax for that. Oh no, you can use a form versus you can get accessibility by default if you're just using a form and buttons instead of trying to have an on-click handler on the yeah, dev. Stop event propagation and all these things, right? Yeah, yeah. But you can say that moving towards this and moving towards web standards, it's easier to do best practices. So it's easier to do the right thing and harder to do the wrong thing. But mm. that's also a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that makes sense. On that note, do you think that will continue like this kind of trend in general over the next five years or so do you think frameworks will keep pushing us towards more web native stuff this new paradigm of using the standards a little bit more developer overhead potentially debatably 
Or do you think that we may kind of, like you said, like the pendulum might swing back for a bit and will regress? At some point, it will probably swing back and maybe we get new like services to add applications for or, or the edge function stuff requires us to do different things. But I think use the platform as a term and as a like best practice isn't something new. It's been repeated and said many times, but it's been hard to enforce it. I think now we're seeing again, because of the opinionated nature of and adaption rate of meta frameworks, we're seeing a greater push towards the web standards. Using things like response objects and using things like URL search in web APIs, instead of having your own curious string implementation, that's just a little example. But again, that's also by definition standardization across different things. So that can also mean that it's easier for newcomers, for instance, to have interoperability across different implementations of things. Uh, so now we're having the exact same architecture with different implementation details and using a lot of the same common building blocks of the web standard. So I think maybe it's getting simpler to move across different implementations over time. Yeah, I think I agree. It does feel like there is similarities. I don't know how easy it is necessarily, but I think you could logically port an app maybe a lot simpler once you're in this space between these kind of meta frameworks that are handling all this for you and doing this building. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I think time will tell. We'll see where we go. Yeah. The way I think about this is that all these paradigm shifts, they are more permanent because they change how you think about writing code instead of just how you're writing things. We're often in between those paradigm shifts. We're focusing on improving how we're writing things. But when the paradigm shifts happens, which makes them much more permanent, we're changing the way we're thinking about uh, writing them. And that's uh, much more powerful in a sense. Yeah, we're viewing them from different angles. The, our code, yeah. we're looking at our, the stuff we're writing day to day with kind of different perspectives for sure. It's probably uh, as good a note to leave listeners with as any. Is there anything else you want to point people towards or shout out before we sign off? No, I'm sorry it took so long. It's good. It's great. In my Norwegian podcast, I tried to make them 20 minutes. I think I failed miserably <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but I think it was a, a good discussion. And, and um, if anyone has any questions or want to disagree, I'm still uh, in Norway. The threads aren't released yet because of privacy issues. Uh, I see. So I'm still on Twitter. So <laughs> if there's any questions, at Michael Brevik is the place to direct them. We'll get that handle in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.